Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown for our match day 12 recap. I'm Sam Leverage. Recovering from a nasty cold, so if you hear me bunged up, that's that's why. And I'm joined by Rory Barlow. Hi, Rory. How are you? Not too bad. Better than yourself, Sam. You seem like you're really fighting through the pain, and we appreciate it here. Let that be known. Yeah, I know. It's been the after a few months into the season, I'm already feeling the the worst for it. Clearly, <laughs> what do you make of this weekend, Rory? I mean, it was action packed, late drama all over again. Yeah, it was another fun weekend, another fun match day for me. La Liga, it might not be at the heights that it was in sort of 2012 in terms of quality, but boy, is it fun. And I have to say, seeing La Re, uh, the Real Arena in the Basque Derby just absolutely bouncing was phenomenal. And yeah, we've never been more aware of how important fans are. And, and yeah, it's so good to see that back in the local derby. Exactly, yeah, especially on Sunday this weekend, there's been some torrential rain at the games. I mean, at that in Atletico, we saw some real downpours, but seeing the, the Real Arena so packed and the fans so up for it, even though it had been raining all day in San Sebastián, it was, it was great to see and kind of a real reminder of how far we've come from, from even a few months ago with games behind closed doors and, and no atmosphere. So let's jump straight into this one. And Rory, I'm going to pass over to you, and you spoke to Benya Gutierrez our resident athletic fan. But first, let's just hear to the late drama as Iko Manayin's free kick squirmed in to seal the point for both teams. La verdad se coge muy poca carrilla, está diciendo que se meta, pero bueno, ahí va Iker, 46, la pega directo, gol, gol, Atlético encantado del portero. Gol, 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 gol de Iker. Gol, 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 gol. hecho, la pone Iker iba pegadita al palo pero muy fácil para el portero incluso para cogerla ha querido meter los puños, iba no demasiado alto el balón y se ha ido para adentro, empata el Atlético, gol del capitán gol de Iker Muniain 46 de la segunda Real 1, Atlético I'm joined here by Benyat Gutierrez, who must be pretty happy after the end of that Athletic Real Sociedad game. 
a really good game for me, a really interesting game. I thought it was very competitive, very hard fought. Benyat, I'd like your thoughts on the game as a whole, but firstly, just tell me how it feels to get a late, late equaliser against your rivals. It felt pretty well, actually, because I guess uh, for most athletic fans, uh, there was this feeling of deja vu about the, the game, feeling a lot like the final, final we talked about a lot during the last uh, week approaching this game. So this idea of a pretty close game that small details were making it uh, favorable to Real Sociedad was feeling really painful for, for most fans. So, yeah, it was uh, really nice to see um, Iker Munien scoring that uh, late goal. And also, I guess, this, uh, on the terms of the rivalry, seeing the mistake from Ramiro, I'm pretty sure that made uh, also some fans happy. <laughs> and as a whole, what did you think of the game? I thought it was pretty even for a lot of the game. After La Real scored, maybe a little bit more for or Real Sociedad were a little bit more dominant, but what were your thoughts from an athletic point of view? I think it's a fair result, actually. If you look at the whole game, you can see that it was a very, very tight game. Um, it's actually what has become the common thing in the uh, games between Athletic and Real Sociedad in the last uh, three, four years. That wasn't a surprise. And despite some, I would say, questionable calls from the referee, I don't think they um, they would have changed their, their result uh, a lot. So, yeah, I think it's fair. Um, Atleti was able to um, destroy the football proposal from Real Sociedad, but it is true that wasn't able to create a lot of opportunities. So, at the end, I think it was it was pretty fair and it's, uh, it's a good result, I guess, for both teams in the sense that um, Real stays on top of the league and for Athletic, seeing how difficult it was looking being behind on one uh, player uh, sent out, I would say, uh, on a very strict call by the referee. Yeah, I think everyone can be happy today. Certainly, it was a controversial call to send Inigo, Inigo Martinez off after Mikel Merino, perhaps would have deserved a red card too. Um, in terms of Athletic, on a more general basis, their season is going pretty well, I think. They've lost one game, but they've also not been amazing going forward. How do you think it's going? Um, the team seems to be improving every week. Um, I think um, it's looking better than the way they started the season. Um, one of the main things is that the, the team is being very solid. It's really difficult to create chances against Athletic. We're seeing every team struggle. For example, the leader of the league today, you know, Real Sociedad, mm. wasn't able to, to create a lot of uh, dangerous situations against Athletic. And I think that speaks well of the work Marcelino is doing. You can see actually the difference of having a whole press season to, to work. But at the same time, there are some darker spots, mostly related to some of the um, selections he does, uh, putting some players on the starting 11. Uh, it seems that he's being able to um, improve the team. Uh, the team looks better, but there are still some questionable decisions on what players he's uh, using. 
most people were expecting more time for Sunset, for example, or more alternatives in the midfield, uh, not seeing so much uh, of Dani Garcia that, as we comment <laughs> um, several times here, he's not the fan favorite. Um, and it's one of the things that probably uh, most fans are demanding Marcelino that he's more um, brave uh, in the aspect of giving more chances to young players that are knocking on the door and that probably will deserve uh, some more time. It is true that today we saw the um, Primera debut of uh, Pecha Roman, actually mm-hmm. a Real Academy player uh, till, till last year. Um, also conditioned because um, Balenciaga wasn't, wasn't playing today. He wasn't uh, able to be on the list because he had uh, tummy problems before the start of the game. But that's probably one of the main things. Yeah, the team is improving, but it seems that um, there's probably that need to see more of the young players because that seems to be the path to actually be able to, to achieve the goals for, for the season and at least to achieve the goals on midterm. Interesting you mentioned that and in terms of achieving the goals for the season what what does success mean for Athletic because they've come close to Europe in recent seasons but not quite got there they obviously got to a Copa del Rey final what is success for this team? Um, I think I'm going to give like uh, maybe not the hot take from or expected from a pundit, but um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that there are two options uh, and there are two ways you can success this year. Uh, the first one is obvious. You need to be um, close or you need to be fighting till the end to reach a European competition spot for next season. I think that's a realistic um, goal. Um, probably you can demand the team to achieve it, but you can demand for sure that they are fighting for it till the uh, very last week of the season, let's say, and, and that could be successful. And it, obviously, if they are able to classify for uh, Europa League next season, I think that will be a pretty um, good thing to, to achieve in the league, and I think people could be satisfied with it. The other way to be successful or to consider the, the season um, good is that Marcelino keeps giving more minutes to the young players and that he sets the, the transition to the next uh, season because it's pretty obvious that Athletic's roster is on one of those points where there's a huge renovation going on and needs, you need to be brave as I was saying before on that so there's two ways as I was saying you need to reach your goal uh, on the league or obviously uh, make uh, great things happen on Copa del Rey that is this kind of obsession here in, in Bilbao. Or if not, you need to basically set the foundations for the transition in, in the roster that it's, it's pretty necessary and it's pretty demanded here. Very interesting and good to hear on kind of a, your insight on always a unique situation at Athletic Club. It's obviously a very unique club and yeah great to get your insight again i shall thank you for your time and let you get back to your sunday evening i will go straight to bed so <laughs> yeah, that's my, those are my plans for the day <laughs> well thank you very much benyat and i shall throw it back to sam on the podcast thanks rory and sweet dreams to benyat i'm sure they will be after that late 
drama at the Leale Arena and quite how it finished for the Athletic fans. But changing topics slightly, dreams for Athletic fans, nightmares for Barcelona fans. Ruri, I know you're one of those Barca fans. I mean, what did you make of the one-all draw with Alaves at Camp Nou this weekend? Well, I'm not going to say it was great. I thought there were details, details that were a little bit better for me. I think this was a game that didn't show any... I mean, certainly Barcelona's had two days to sort of implement any methods. Um, and so we couldn't really expect a huge amount of change. I did think the players moved a little more freely and tried a few more things. I think this was a performance from Barcelona that was kind of closer to the the good Koeman teams, if that makes sense. And I say good in inverted commas. It looked like a better Koeman team. They were very eager to move the ball quickly. They were very eager to be vertical. And, and they looked a little better, but at the same time, I think the news of this, and we remarked on it before, is that this isn't a headline that Barcelona drew at home to Alaves and the fact that that's normal the fact that that's not noteworthy in itself is is pretty incredible really yeah and of course there are only 37,000 fans at Camp Nou I mean do you want to kind of explain a bit about why fans aren't going to the games in Barcelona I think there's a confluence of factors and part of that I think is obviously Messi is gone that's a huge part of it tourism is down I think there's a lot of tourists would have gone to games and I think you can even depending on the game it could be sort of 10 to 20,000 people would have been coming to Barcelona to watch the games and then beyond that it's a bank holiday weekend in Spain and so a lot of people go away the season ticket holders they have a somewhat checkered record in terms of turning up for the less important games in Barcelona and so I think this sort of confluence of factors, obviously the team isn't playing well. They're not particularly fun to watch, um, to put it brutally honest. And it touches on a part of a lot of Spanish football culture where the fans expect to be entertained, certainly at the very big clubs at Real Madrid and Barcelona. Whereas maybe other sides like Betis, the fans are there week in, week out to, to show their support. Manque pierda. Yeah, and I mean, that 38% of... Uh of Camp Nou that was full. I mean, I guess they did get to see some entertainment and they got to see Alaves dismantle the Barcelona defence. I mean, this is the eighth game <laughs> in a row where, well, the eighth game this season, sorry, where Barcelona conceded from their first shot that they've faced. I mean, how bad is the defensive crisis at Barcelona? I mean, where do you think everything is going wrong? Is it Marc-André Ter Stegen in goal? Is it Piqué? Is it, I mean, what is it that's to blame for, for all of these goals that Barcelona are conceding? There's no one factor and it would be, sure, Piquet hasn't been at his best, neither has Marc-Andre Stegen for quite a while, which, which is definitely a concern at this point. Eric Garcia at times has been at fault for goals, but none of these, I, th I think all of these sort of players aren't on top form, so you can't really put it down to individuals. It's no use saying that Barcelona don't have the defenders or the players to defend better. It's just not true for me. It's... For me, it's disorganisation with the ball and without the ball. If you lose, if you're disorganised with the ball and you're trying to play a game where you push up high, that you dominate the game and take the game to your opponents, whenever you lose the ball, if you're disorganised, it's easy to counter on you. And it's perhaps the easiest thing in the world for the opposition if, if you leave yourself open like that. And then defending sort of without the ball, neither are they disorganised, but once you drop deep, then it's 
you're less likely to, to concede with 10 men behind the ball, even if you're disorganized. Whereas if you, yeah, if you press up high and there's no sort of mechanism that swings into play and manages to sort of pressure the ball off the opponent, then it's, it's easy to cut through. And so until Barcelona have a manager and a team which knows exactly what it wants to do, how it wants to do it, and the players are certain of where they should be, it doesn't matter who is playing, they're going to concede goals like that. And I, I think that is that stat that you gave me there, that's just kind of shows it. And I mean, you touched on the disorganisation there, but I mean, one team that did look very organised this weekend were Atletico Madrid. I mean, for me, this is the first time that we've really seen the kind of a reigning champions performance from Atleti. I mean, what did you make of, of the way they kind of tore Betis apart? I mean, this is a very promising Betis team. They've been in really good form. And Atleti made them look like they were relegation battlers almost. I mean, they, they were very comfortable at the Wanda, weren't they? Yeah, for me, hands down the best Atleti performance of the season. And for Atleti, I think, although they've had good performances and they've had sides which have looked good, more promising, this was the most balanced Atleti I've seen. And it was the Atleti that I've seen where no player or no sort of aspect of the team looked dysfunctional it all looked like everyone was in sync knew exactly what they were doing and what they wanted to do which i mean we're early in the season and it has to be said that atleti they're allowed to have a bit of a grace period i think to adapt when you you have Jao felix you have griezmann you have a lot of different sort of factors of the team that were changing and so yeah i think i think it's justifiable to think that simeone would have needed a little bit of time to sort of tweak things and get them working but I mean, yeah, sure. I don't know what you thought of it, Sam. You obviously watch Atleti very closely, but I thought this was their best performance of the season. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, obviously coming off the back of the Levante game with a very disappointing ending, um, the conditions were horrendous. I mean, torrential rain in Madrid, so so not ideal for playing football. And then obviously Diego Simeone was suspended, so he was up in the stands. Atleti again had another controversial controversial penalty shout ignored early on and you can see the the players kind of beginning to get riled up and at that point you're thinking no come on don't get carried away don't lose your heads and it was after a very organized very structured first 15 20 minutes and you could just see it creeping into their minds that no don't don't lose it like a Levante all over again <laughs> and they didn't I mean I think that was kind of the discipline and the the structure that Atleti had so much last season and they've shown it again against Betis and I mean Betis were a really good team and I think it was telling after the game the difference in the two coaches I mean Simeone said that he thought that on another day Atleti could have scored more goals and won by more and Pellegrini said that he thought that Betis didn't deserve a 3-0 defeat that Atleti were the better team but not three goals worse I think it was kind of a very hard fought game the whole way through I don't think Atleti ever took the pressure off so to speak but on another day they could have won by more goals and Pellegrini's probably right that on another day when Atleti aren't firing on all cylinders, they could have won by even less as well. So, I mean, this is the, the perfect kind of performance that Diego Simeone will be asking for, I think. Yeah, I think after that first five, ten minutes, Atleti just gave Betis nothing. I don't, I don't think they were particularly bad and I'd sort of echo Pellegrini's thoughts a little. I think Betis looked a little heavy-legged for me. I think they really gave it their best go in that sort of first opening ten minutes. And then once Atleti kind of matched that, Betis couldn't keep going. And so the, the imprecision and the sort of heavy legs maybe just set into Betis a little. And and yeah, credit to 
to Simeone and for the players for really keeping up that intensity for a full 90 minutes, which is, yeah, it's the first time we've seen that, I think, from them. Yeah, and obviously Jao Felix came on as a substitute and scored, and I think that was one that we could maybe see coming. I mean, Antoine Griezmann is obviously going to be suspended for the Champions League fixture at Anfield in midweek. So Jao Felix rested and he came on and made an impact from the bench, his first La Liga goal of the season. I think that was a, a big moment for Jao and, and for Atleti as well to kind of see him break his duck. And Griezmann did it against Levante in midweek as well. So I think this is where they're starting to get the goals that aren't all coming from Luis Suarez. They're starting to, to look a bit more of a complete team. And I think with each passing week in general, obviously the odd exception, but Atleti are looking more and more like a team that are going to defend their title. Yeah, definitely. I think for for me, if they do get it right, and I mean, you can't really bet against Simeone, I think they are my title favourites. And just quickly, a word for Koke and Depau, because those two are, they're frightening together. They, they really are the best midfield in Spain for me, the, the two of them together right now. Yeah, I think they dominate games in the way that uh, Cruz, Modric, Casemiro trio used to. I think that Koke and Depau maybe... They're not quite as complete and rounded as that trio, but they are bossing games in midfield and that's just what they need. Fantastic. So stay tuned and we will be back after the break. We're going to look into all the other fixtures, including a shock in Madrid as Hetafe picked up their first win of the season. So stay tuned and we'll be back after a short break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown and our La Liga Match Day 12 recap. This part of the podcast, we're going to take a look at the rest of the fixtures this weekend across the weekend action. So 
we're going to start off with something that we haven't seen yet this season, which was Hitafe, and that they won a game. Can you believe it, Rui? <laughs> Barely. What I can believe less is that Enes Unal was at the double to, to win this game for Hitafe. Obviously a massive result for Kike Sanchez-Flores, and I think just getting that kind of off their back, the fact that they'd not won, uh, it really helps them because they were starting to just look a little bit adrift at the bottom of the table. Uh, what did you think of the game, Sam? Yeah, well, I mean, pouring rain just like there was for the Aleti game a couple of hours earlier, and I think that kept a lot of fans away. There were only about four out 5,000 at the Coliseum Alfonso Perez, and so only 5,000 people can say that they've seen Enezo now score an overhead kick <laughs> like that one, but... I don't think anybody saw that performance from him coming in. I mean, yeah, I think you're right that Hetafe were beginning to to be cut off a little bit because we've seen Levante start to pick up some draws and look a bit more competitive, whereas with Hetafe we haven't seen that at all. They've kind of pushed on in games and looked like they've had the lead, but then they've thrown it away every time and you've never quite been able to trust them. And in midweek, obviously, against Granada, another late equaliser that they conceded, you're kind of thinking if they can't, keep a clean sheet even against a team like Granada who are down there as well then when are they going to do it but against Espanyol they outscored them 2-1 and so I think that's a really big win win for them and another big game down at the bottom is, is Cadiz Mallorca I mean that was a dramatic one right? Really dramatic Cadiz were 1-0 down to Mallorca through, who'd gone ahead through Baba they then had Alexander Sedlar sent off they had Luis Garcia Plaza the manager sent off and in the 92nd minute, I think they conceded the penalty, which Alvaro Negredo then equalised with. Huge result for Gareth, I think, in terms of just not losing here. But they do stretch it to kind of seven games without a win. And this was a point which they won through kind of fight spirit and, and getting back into the game. But it is certainly a worry for them. Choco Lozano was key. He won the penalty again. For me, without him, they, they lack a lot of threat, as I mentioned in midweek. Mallorca, again, throwing away points. And Matt Clark, um, stat extraordinaire, sent me, sent me a stat from La Liga in Directo on Twitter, which said if Mallorca, or if the games had finished in the 85th minute, Mallorca would be fifth, two points off the top of the table. And that's a lot of points to be thrown away if you're expecting to stay up in a relegation battle. Yeah, I mean, Mallorca are the, the nearly their team of La Liga, aren't they? I mean, they keep getting these goals that they've been conceding. I mean, do you think it's a it's a long-term issue or do you think it's something a little bit more short-term? I mean, even the last four games, I mean, Real Sociedad scored an injury-time winner. Valencia scored two to get a draw and Mestalla in, in injury-time. Cadiz, this weekend, I mean, this is just, that's what, five points they've dropped in the last four games in injury-time. And I mean, how how hard is that mentally for the team to bounce back? I think, I think it's a massive concern because Mallorca, although they've been conceding these goals late on, they have been playing quite well, which on the one hand is very encouraging because you think if they continue to play well, then they can put the results together, they'll be okay. But on the other hand, every team, I think, in, in every league season goes through a spell where they're not playing quite as well. And those are the spells where you need to be able to grind out results, pick up points when perhaps you don't deserve them as much. And so when they hit that spell... If they're still conceding late goals like they are today and throwing away points, that's going to really come back to bite them a lot. And then just one last thing from this game was Daniel Rodriguez's rather spectacular rant after the game. He said that it was an embarrassment that 
the team were being treated not even as a newly promoted team, but they weren't being even treated fairly as professionals. I mean, this was regarding the the rather controversial red card for for Isaac Cartelen, which was then cancelled by VAR because of a foul in the build-up. I mean, it was a pretty horrendous challenge, but I guess by the rule book, it was the right decision to cancel the red card. But I mean, do you understand Mallorca's frustration there? I mean, they were winning 1-0 at the time. They would have been up against 10 men. Instead, they end up down to 10 men and, and going behind. It is, I, I can certainly understand their frustration. And I think if you're a Mallorca fan, you would be rightly fuming. But I mean, letter of the law, I think in, in terms of this, it's a bad challenge, yes. And so maybe he should have been sent off. But on the, I, I think if you think about it rightly, it's not as if they were denied a penalty and they would have scored a goal. It's a, I, I find it kind of hard to sympathise with him too much because you don't expect to be playing against 10 men. And it's just, in my mind, I think it's more of a wider debate about whether the football rules are kind of working for football at the minute. Because there's a lot of decisions that I think are being taken on technicalities where and by letter of the law they're right and that makes sense but by in terms of the game it doesn't necessarily benefit the game and so I think we, we 10 15 years ago maybe the balance of that was a bit better now I think with VAR we're maybe too encouraged to follow the rules which is a strange thing to say but on the other hand if it's ruining games then yeah you, you really have to question what the point of them is yeah, some some dramatic calls there. But I mean, why don't we go back to the start of the weekend where we had two results that were possibly the least controversial, least surprising results of the weekend. Real Madrid beat Elche 2-1 on the road with no Karim Benzema. He was rested, so Vinicius Jr. stepped up and scored a brace there. I mean, what did you think of, of this one? I mean, Elche put up a decent fight, really, didn't they? Yeah, Elche were pretty good. I have to say, they weren't bad at all. Lucas Boyer was fantastic and he just continues to sort of end performances or show moments of real fight for them I, I think Fernando Scalibar can take a lot of heart from the performance Real Madrid this was just about Vinicius this was phenomenal and it's we're really seeing him sort of take up the mantle as a key threat I, I don't think Real Madrid have had a player that um, what's the word desequilibrante they've not had a player that unbalances the game like he does for quite some time and it, and it's a massive weapon for them on the other hand if you want to sort of look at the negatives for them Jovic didn't play in this game and that's a big worry if Benzema isn't playing and he's still not getting on the park and then Mariano who did play in the game and got a really nice assist it must be said so there's a positive but then he's going towards goal right at the end Eden Hazard is clear in space and he just takes it selfishly, dribbles into a defender, kind of loses the ball, and it's just... I think he was possibly the only person at the Estadio Martinez Valero that wouldn't have made that pass oh, in that position that didn't moment. see the end-end run. Horrible. So another result which maybe we could have seen coming was Sevilla, who faced Osasuna. They won 2-0, which I guess kind of follows expectations, but, I mean, this was a much tougher tie than it looked on paper, wasn't it? I mean, Osasuna unbeaten away from home this season going into this one and Sevilla made pretty light work of it I mean were you impressed by by Sevilla at the pith one? Yeah Sevilla good win at home obviously against a very organised Osasuna who have that good away record I think they have to be happy with this for me there was still some of the flaws that have held them back on show and 
Their home record is much better, it has to be said, at the Ramon Sanchez Pizjuan. Ocampos got on the score sheet for the first time since March, which is huge because his lack of form has really hindered their attack. And so I think that's big. And with a Bono assist as well. With a Bono assist, quite rightly said. And... But on the other hand, yeah, Campos's goal it did come from a massive defensive error from Osasuna and Rafa Mir still missing really good opportunities for them. And so I think the issues, which is them being able to finish their chances and perhaps not just having quite enough in attack, are still there for me. I think this was one of the games where they kept it tight, they played pretty well and managed to grind out a good result. But we've seen that result go the other way at other times. And now let's turn our attentions to the other derby of the weekend, the Derby de Valencia, where we had Valencia Mestalla as they welcomed Villarreal. This is a heated battle, a derby which has changed a lot over the years. And this time it's Villarreal who are the the big dogs going over to Mestalla. But it didn't quite work out like that. So let's tune in to Rory as you spoke to Paco. But first, let's just hear a little clip of some of the drama that happened at Mestalla. I'm joined here by Paco Polit, the most in-demand man in Spain, it seems. He's taken time out of his very busy schedule, for which we are very grateful. Uh, we're here to talk a little bit about Valencia, who managed to end their run of seven games without a win. They beat Villarreal 2-0. This was a little bit more like the Valencia of Bordelas that we kind of wanted to see, wasn't it, Paco? Yeah, really, definitely. Um, I believe that uh, there has been quite the job of looking into the inside by Jose Bordalas and his staff, uh, trying to make sense of what happened in their game against uh, Betis a few days ago. Uh, four goals against is definitely something that you not see every day whenever a Bordalas team is uh, playing. And that's why his uh, tactics on... Um, this past weekend were radically different to what he uh, performed in Benito Villamarín the match day earlier. I believe that um, trying to make a bet towards uh, playing with many players at the back, uh, we saw at some point even six defenders in the last 30 minutes of the game against Villarreal. We saw <laughs> uh, Diakabi coming in to uh, sub uh, Gabriel Paulista, who left uh, injured. We saw Alderete. We saw uh, Dimitri Fulquier, uh, Pizzini, Gaya, you know, uh, Guillamon himself, even though he scored. At the end of the day, he was playing last season as a centre-back. So, uh, Bordalas... I think has delivered the message to the players that they definitely must keep clean sheets in order to uh, increase the chances of winning because there's a deficit in quality uh, from midfield onwards and that's why uh, the game against um, Villarreal will never be remembered as one of the most beautiful games of football ever played. And actually, Unai Emery complained <laughs> about that after the, the game in the press conference. But anyway, uh, Valencia got the job done. And at the end of the day, that's what fans... Uh, 
expect from the team, that's what Bordalas expects from his men, and that's what uh, makes uh, Valencianistas happy all around. Winning the derby against Villarreal, even though it wasn't in spectacular fashion, but that 2-0 surely left a glowing aftertaste in all of the fan base. And anyone who's watched a little bit of Emery's Villarreal at points in Europe would be surprised to hear that he's complaining about stylistic preferences because, yeah, at times they could be pretty pretty stuffy as well. And Valencia, yeah, okay, we've, we've seen this win. They've broken their bad run. We spoke just before we came on about their upcoming games. They've got Atletico Madrid, Real Sociedad and Rayo Vallecano coming up. Are we likely to see, can this be a turning point for them getting back to their early season form? Or do we see kind of more inconsistency coming? Well, I think we, we'll have to wait and see, especially because um, if you leave aside possibly Real Sociedad, who have been looking great through and through the whole season, and Rayo Vallecano, who are, you know, that underdog who keeps surprising the, the opposition. Um, I saw Atletico's game against Levante uh, the last match day, and I wasn't impressed by their uh, performance. And I think that at some point, and to some extent, uh, Valencia can can uh, take to town Atletico at some at some level. Because I think that uh, whenever Atletico faces a side who is ident- identical in some points to them. They are uh, very, very strong at the back with an incredible goalkeeper. By the way, I didn't speak earlier about him. Uh, Jasper Silesen was crucial towards Valencia's win because um, ultimately you see the scoreline and you see the 2-0, the goals by Guillamon and Carlos Soler, but only two minutes before Guillamon's opening goal, uh, Jasper Silesen delivered possibly the best save of the whole weekend. Um, an incredible save, uh, which kept Valencia... Uh, with a clean sheet and kept them inside the game, you know, uh, competing against uh, Villarreal and that was crucial towards the outcome of the of the whole fixture. But leaving that aside, I think that uh, having the chance of uh, measuring Valencia's level at this point with Atletico's, Real Sociedad and Rayo Vallecanos is the perfect chance to see if this new uh, turning point of Bordalas, who have kept uh, in the last few weeks trying to find the perfect balance between the defending side of things which he definitely um, has like the his first stone uh, mm-hmm. and the, the crucial stone of his church okay in order to b- uh, build it on top of it um, and later obviously scoring uh, and I think that the um, the way Mestalla um, delivered the send-off to the players after the game, seeing that they had left absolutely everything running around in the pitch, especially in the first half, Valencia ran a lot. They had to defend quite a few spaces, uh, especially because Villarreal were dominating not only the ball possession, but also the pace of the game. They had Parejo in the midfield, they had Coquelin, and also... um, uh, uh, I'm thinking about the player and I can't... Uh, Capu, Etienne Capu, okay, <laughs> who was Valencia's target last season. With those three midfielders, uh, Villarreal were dominating, but they went to halftime losing. And I think that mm, turned on a switch in Unai Emery's brain, fortunately for Valencia and unluckily for Villarreal, because he decided to sub Parejo out of the pitch 
and increased the muscle in the midfield and that deactivated actually Villarreal's chances of generating more danger in the second half. In the first 15 minutes, up, up until Trigueros came in to, to make another sub, uh, Villarreal looked like, you know, a headless chicken running around without someone who could keep the ball and organize the, the place around him. Um, so Valencia did take advantage of that and they were feeling confident, they were winning 1-0 and that's why they were able to get to the, to the finishing minutes of the, of the game with you know, that kind of energy and strength. Um, and later, obviously, all of the subs by Bordalas were focused, Lasser focused on not allowing any single goal. And actually, uh, Villarreal were complaining about the style of the, of the game. Emery was complaining about being a very dirty, uh, ugly game. But ultimately, they only took one shot on target in 90 minutes. So I think that Villarreal should at least, uh, to some extent, have something to blame from themselves. Certainly, and uh, never accuse Bordelas of uh, having a dirty side. Um, <laughs> Definitely never. <laughs> That's something w w which has never been heard about uh, football people uh, being uh, reasonable towards Bordelas and talking about his teams not being the most, uh, the prettiest ones. But but yeah, they get the job done. And uh, even mm. though Emery did have some nice words, so towards Bordalas and his and his uh, trajectory and his career, you could see that he was super pissed about the fact that, that uh, Villarreal had never gotten to the pacing of the game that they could have uh, liked. And you obviously keep an eye on the Comunidad Valenciana as a whole, and you've spoken about some of the shortcomings that Villarreal had there. Emery is pissed off. How are the Villarreal fans and how is the Entorno there feeling towards Emery? Because, to be honest, this squad can do more than they are mm -hmm. at the moment. I think that the press conference after the game against Valencia reflects that he's beginning to feel the pressure. Um, even though he was able to, you know, uh, lift Silverware last season with the uh, Europa League against Manchester United in the final, and uh, even though he got... Uh, that way, Villarreal into the Champions League. He's beginning to feel the heat because um, with 12 points, that's you know not even close to being enough for Villarreal. The investment in the squad and the signings, uh, 24 million for Dan Juma, who, by the way, ended his game against Valencia absolutely out of his mind because of the way Dimitri Fulkier was able to defend him one-on-one -on -one and winning <laughs> every single take on, on him. Um, and that's why Emery is, is beginning to feel a bit nervous because the, the results don't trickle in and, and getting draws in La Liga like the other day against Cadiz with that 3-3 score, I, I think that uh, inside the club there's the perception that uh, he should be getting better results and also better game out of the out of the incredibly talented squad that he has. Yes, Gerard Moreno is uh, injured. Yes, Juan Foyt, who eventually became last year one of the crucial players for, for Emery because he's able to play absolutely anywhere. He can play in the wing, he can play in the midfield, he can play at the back. Those two players being absent is a big problem for the coach, but I think he has plenty of tools to do better. And that's why he felt, I believe, a bit nervous after losing the derby against uh, Valencia because he realized that when he... Uh, would eventually come home to be a Real fans. They are going to expect much more from him and much more from his squad. 
Certainly, it'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on at Villarreal because, yeah, for, for all the points you underlined, I will let Paco go because he has to get back to his incredibly busy schedule, but thank him very dearly for his time here. Merci once again, Paco. Thanks a lot, mate. Bye-bye. So it's that time of the podcast when we turn our attention to the match day MVP. So Rory, first up, who's your first pick? First pick is Hugo Guillamon, who I think... It, we maybe underestimate how difficult it is to just change your position at the drop of a hat almost, and that's what's happened with Hugo Guillamon. He's always kind of been a defender coming through the ranks, and he's gone into central midfield for Bordelas. He's, he's too small to be a centre-half uh, in a Bordelas team, according to the man himself, and just comported himself so well. And I think against... Um, this week against Villarreal, we we saw him really sort of coming to his own. He was closing down sort of passing lanes and a big part of the Bordelas and the kind of Valencia defensive effort. And then what a finish, what a goal that was. It was almost Messi-esque, wasn't it? It was so calm and composed for, yeah, like I said, a defender who's kind of, he's made that sort of uh, run to break the lines and yeah, fair play to him. So yeah, he's my first choice for MVP. What about yourself, Sam? I'm going to go with another brilliant finisher. Um, and we were just debating this before we started recording, Rurian. And you mentioned Vinny. And obviously, Vinicius scored two for Real Madrid. But for me, the MVP is about a player who, who can win points single-handedly for his team. And I think with Real Madrid, that could have been anyone if it wasn't Vinicius. But with Getafe, Enes Unal turned up and scored two fantastic goals. And that's what they've been missing all season. I mean... They've needed a striker to step up. Sandro's had a couple of decent games, but never really performed. And Ezreal has been very unconvincing. But here he was, and I mean, two fantastically well-taken goals. I mean, everybody watching seems to be in shock that Ezreal was the guy to score these goals. And it's kind of the potential that he's always had and never lived up to in La Liga. But he showed what he is capable of against Espanyol. And if he can keep doing that on a more regular basis, then maybe Hitafe do have a hope of staying up this season. But... He will need to do that a lot more, but for me, that makes him the MVP because without him, Hitafe is still winless. Uh, that's a very fair point. I would say that I expect Has to be on your case pretty, pretty swiftly I'm tomorrow. Sure he will be. <laughs> um, in terms of my second choice, I think I'm going to go for the best player of one of the best matches of the weekend, and that's Miguel Marino, who he didn't score the goal, but he essentially won that penalty. His sharp reactions inside the box. And he's just fantastic in midfield. He's not necessarily the... He is a box-to-box midfielder in the sense that he, he does everything in between the boxes and he gets up and down the pitch very well. But he's not... So he doesn't stand out for sort of his marauding, more or less. But it's the fact that he does everything. He filters passes. He breaks up attacks. He is a complete midfielder. And I think maybe sometimes we... We force sort of young players to become the best version of themselves immediately. And Mikel Marino went to Dortmund at an early age, didn't quite work out. But now that he's sort of finally reaching that age of maturity, I think he's probably at the level that people thought he could be when he was really young. And, and so, yeah, he's, he's finally found a place and a system, a manager that trusts him. And look at him go. I think he's one of the best players in La Liga this season. And he showed that again this Sunday night. 
Yeah, I think you can always copy and paste that for, for the guy that I'm going to argue for fourth uh, nomination, <laughs> and that's Yannick Carrasco. I mean, he was always very raw when he was at Atletico before. He was kind of the player that could be the difference maker, but not always was. He went to China and everyone kind of forgot about him. But since he's come back to, to Spain, he's been brilliant. And I mean, this weekend against Betis, I thought it was it was kind of the perfect summary of the impact that he has on Atleti. Because, I mean, this was a game that was very tight. It was very narrow, not many chances for either side. And then he created something out of nothing and that broke the deadlock. It gave Atleti the lead. It changed the game. And, I mean, his electricity, his energy down the left flank is so crucial to Atletico's whole system. And that goal against Betis was, was kind of the perfect example of what he brings to that team. So, for me, he has to be the fourth nomination. It's very fair. Definitely electric from Carrasco, I'll give you there. Fantastic. So just before we finish up, Rory, what was your, your moment of the weekend? I I cannot understand why this has not been doing the rounds on social media, to be perfectly honest. For, it was Guti's birthday on the Sunday this weekend, and that, of course, meant that his assist was doing all the rounds on social media. And Hossalu's assist for Alaves should be doing the rounds just as Guti's was because I, I've seen that bit of skill before where you sort of back heel it with your, your left or your right heel and then sort of do a kind of Cruyff turn back heel with the other. I've seen that used by Iniesta to escape people, but I've never seen it used as an assist as a sort of way to like thread the final pass straight into the Yoka's path. And, and yeah, I thought that was magic. Yeah, it was a pretty impressive moment. I mean, for me, I think Iker Manayin's celebrations after the last-minute equaliser in the derby <laughs> is going to be hard to beat. But for me as well, another one is, is Hitafe. I mean, to finally get that win and see Kike Sanchez-Flores. I mean, there was a, a free kick that De Gene won with uh, three minutes left of injury time and Kike Sanchez-Flores was celebrating on the touchline like it was the, the winner in the Champions League final. I thought that was great <laughs> to see. But as we bow out, let's tune into that, that magical moment and Jose Lu's magnificent back heel as we end for this week. So stay tuned. Make sure you keep an eye on our social media at La Liga Lowdown. Thanks for joining us, Rory. It's a pleasure as always, sir. And we'll be back again next week to cover match day 13, the last one before the November international break. So keep an eye out for that one and enjoy the Jose Lu magic. Gol, 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 Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uno, deportivo a la vez uno. Marca un gol con el nuevo buscador de ayuda de fondos europeos.